0: This past week, my family had the privilege of of traveling and taking a break. It's this amazing, I think it's called Vacation, Vacation. I've never had it before, so I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, But we went and we had this wonderful restful time out in West Texas at Fort Davis, and it's one of those wonderful state parks that was helped built by the the CCC, um, the Civilian Conservation Corps, during the Great Depression, and a lot of parks have this, and these Amazing stone structure that it's you know it's hard to hard to imagine how um, how they, it was done without like giant modern technology and people would like had with sledgehammers and giant poles would just crack all these rocks and build these trails and it was built to last it's amazing when you when you travel usually away from from central Texas and you see these buildings that are built to last and aren't built to only survive 20 years and then be completely remodeled with granite countertops and all those sorts of things. Um, but you know, you go, to, you go to New England and you find like you're walking down the street and there's this, this restaurant with like George Washington once relieved himself here a sign, <laughs> outside. And it's like these buildings that are built to last, built to, to survive for long periods of time. You go to Europe and there's these like random people living in houses that were built in 950 AD. And they're just like, there's no big deal. It's like, this is, this is my house. This is my parents' house. We just live here on the side of this gorgeous mountain by the vineyard. It's just like, I guess. Um, but houses are built, and it's amazing that, that, that it works. And I think it's so often a question for people like me. It's like, how do buildings stand? How, how are they able to last like that? There are rules that engineers learn rules that they learn to follow in order to design and help to make sure that buildings last, to make sure that buildings survive what can, what can happen to them. Is there a picture on the PowerPoint? Yes, okay, so this is awesome. This is a picture from Hurricane Michael a few weeks ago in Mexico Beach, Florida. And um, the code for the city was to be able to withstand 140 miles an hour winds. Um, the person who built this house wanted to build it up to 160 miles an hour. And Michael was a Category 4 hurricane, and it had winds up to 155. But that was enough. (laughs) And and it survived, and everyone around it basically was either demolished or pretty much totaled. That looks pretty totaled. I don't know if you're going to survive out of that. Um, In that kind of way. But it still was, you you can't build a house to survive anything. Like There has to be a limit on this. You know, if, they, if it was a 200 mile an hour storm, or if it was a 161 mile an hour storm, it probably would have knocked that house down. But you, when you build a building, when the engineers design it, they have to design like a boundary of what it's going to be. Even earthquake proof buildings can survive up to a certain point scale on the Richter scale. But if the, the epicenter of the earthquake is right under a building, it doesn't matter how earthquake proof it is, it's going to come crashing. If you want to, a building needs to be built sufficient for its needs. What is, what are the needs of the area? If we're in a floodplain, you want to build it so that when the floods happen, you don't go underwater. You want to make it sufficient. My friends, we are finishing our series today on what is the Bible, looking at the meta, the the balcony perspective, not focusing so much on the individual books and the stories, but but what is this text? How are we to understand it? Last week, we spoke about how the Bible is is inspired, how it is God-breathed, how God is here in surprising ways. The week before, we looked at how the Bible is sacred, how this is not a book like the other books we have. Today, we're going to look at how it is sufficient. Sufficient. Now sufficient doesn't sound like a very strong word. If you ever brought home a significant other to your parents and they said, oh, that that person's sufficient <laughs> you wouldn't think that is high praise. <laughs> and, yet, and yet sufficiency is pretty amazing. You know? A building that is sufficient that's not too, too much, not too little, is great. A car that is sufficient, that does what you need to, even like a suit or an outfit that is sufficient, that does what you want it to, is a rare thing so often in this world. It is wonderful. In Greek, the term that's so often translated as training or sufficient is ophelamus. Now, ophelamus is an athletic term, and so it's used for, for athletes when they're getting ready for a race. They, um, they go through Ophelamus. They go through training. What is sufficient? But to train for something, there is a need. You have to have a goal that you're training for. What is the need? And I think that should be our biggest question for today. What is the need? What do we need in this life? What do we need in this life? There are many prophets who try to lead us astray. There are many idols in this world that try to tell us that they are sufficient for us. Idols of, of money, idols of wealth and luxury, idols of, of internet, of Facebook and, and, and poses, idols of, of all these things, celebrities telling us what we need. The Bible is not a get-out-of-jail-free card, though it's often presented in that way. You do, you do this, you do this, then you don't have to worry about hell. Yay, yay, yay. Many come in Jesus' name and use the Bible to deceive The devil quotes scripture back to Jesus just by using the Bible, by saying, quoting a verse, doesn't mean it's being used in a godly way and in a holy way. Many people who claim to be teachers of the church have deceived in history. People who think we can concretely, an example, people who think we can concretely put a date on the time when Jesus returns, which comes from a lack of faith in God. People who see the Bible as this great code for the future, when in fact they are, they're claiming that God is not valid for today. If the Bible is all about the future, then it's not about today and what I'm going for today. In the last 200 years, this has become a large movement in this country called dispensationalism, which is one of those very large, a lot of syllabic word. Um, but it basically means that dispensationalists divide history into seven dispensations, um, which I didn't know at first, but a dispenser, dispensation is like the word like a dispenser of like when you get candy from the from the machine, you get a dispensation, you get a dispenser of it. Um, but that's that's what it is. And then, but it's really focused on the end of the world. It's really focused on predicting when Jesus will come again. And so it's really focused on Daniel, Ezekiel and Revelation and all the other books of the Bible are kind of a little little extra. They're not necessary. It's kind of like a few weeks ago when I talked about putting Ikea furniture together <laughs> um, and thinking that, you know, that, that was it. And so I, when, I, when I got the table together, I had the table. I threw away the instruction manual. I don't need it anymore. And so if you think the Bible is all about predicting when Jesus is going to come, when you have that date, you don't need the Bible anymore. It's not useful. It doesn't have a purpose for you anymore. But that is not sufficient. That is not sufficient to face the brokenness of today. The brokenness of this world, that is not sufficient to face uh, or to even understand the glory of reflecting on Christ being king of this world. Jesus tells us we will not know the time or the hour, and our desire to have control over our future gets away from what we really need. Jesus gives this great example, this great parable of someone who wanted to control the future. And it was the rich man in Luke 12 who saw all the stuff he had built and gathered, and he realized he didn't have space for him, So he tore down the storehouses and built more storehouses. And he was really ready for the future. He was ready for what was going to happen. And I think he was like a lot of these around here. Um, he thought he had it set. He thought he had it set, and he said, and I love the verse, like, self, you have done well. It's often translated that way. And he's thinking, and th- he doesn't even, and Jesus says he doesn't even realize that even this very night his life will be taken. And all of that, all that he had done, all that he had prepared for, all of that future is futile. That is not what we need. That's not what we need. Our future with God is not just distant in the future. It is now. Our future with God is now as a people of the body of Christ. And scripture and the Bible are sufficient for us now. Like I said, a is an athletic term. It is something useful for training. It is what athletes in the ancient world would do to get ready for the Olympics, to get them ready. The Bible is sufficient for us. It gets us ready. It is holy and God-breathed. It is sufficient for training us to become the people we were created to be. It is sufficient for tearing down the strongholds that keep us from love. And that's what I think so often, these other false idols, these other needs that the world tells us, what they really are strongholds that keep us from loving our neighbor. And keep us, they're like a mirror pointing back, pointing back to us that says, all you really need to care about is you. All you really need to care about is the people you already like. And that there's no other world. The world beyond that doesn't matter. But the Bible tears that down. Whenever you spend time with Scripture, you have to deal with other people, because the Bible is all about other people. It's, it's all about what happens when people set apart by God deal with the realities of this world. And sometimes it's ugly and sometimes it's beautiful, but it is all useful and sufficient for training and righteousness. Righteousness, the Greek word di- dikaisune, a lot of Greek today, sorry about that, <laughs> it also means justice. Righteousness and justice are the same word in Greek. It's not in English. It's very different. Righteousness seems, you know, seems very different than justice. But in and, and the language of Scripture, it is the same. Those who are seeking justice and seeking righteousness are seeking the same thing. They're seeking to have their heart set upon God. To have their heart set on Christ. This book is useful for teaching, for reproof, for counsel. It is trustworthy. We can come back to it again and again. It is trustworthy because God is here. The life of faith is not this static thing. It is always shifting, like the earth. The earth is always shifting. The modern theory of plate tectonics comes from a faithful Christian who believed in God and believed in the beauty of creation, but it shows that the world is always shifting. What we think of as solid ground is really just floating on an ocean of magma, (laughs) floating around, ready to crash into each other. And so what do we hold on to when it seems like the world is crashing down around us? We hold on to the God who is love. We hold on to the ultimate expression of that love in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And has, We hold on to how to follow that God who is love, which is shown and revealed in this book. It is to be read together. It is to be read in worship. It is to be shared. It is to be questioned. It is to be argued with. Not to have a final say over what is going on, but to be open to what God is continuing to reveal to us this day in 2018, almost 2019. God is revealing something for us this day. God is revealing something for you this day. This is sufficient for our needs, for what we really need is the life of love. We don't need a plan for the future. We need a life of love now. We need a life where we are willing to love our neighbors, where we are willing to sacrifice for those around us, where we are willing to not put ourselves at the center of the universe, where we are willing to grieve with those who grieve, where we are willing to labor with those who labor, to comfort those who are in need of comfort. What we really need is our lives turned around. We need to get off the path of self-destruction and to get on the way that leads to life. And that is what is offered here. It is sufficient for that. As it says at the end of the Gospel of John, if all the things that Jesus did, if all of it was written down, it would not fit in all the books in all the world. But what was written down is here to offer us life and life abundantly. It is offered to you, not apart from the life life of faith, but at the center of the life of faith. There are words that we can return to again and again to, to discuss, to wrestle, to challenge. I think of the story of Jacob and the angel in the beginning of, of Genesis, or in the middle of Genesis, and um, that has one of my favorite hymns of all time, Come Thou Traveler Unknown, which has like 20 verses. You can look it up in the hymnal. There's like 20 verses. It's amazing. I still haven't got Vicki to let me sing all of them, but... Um, it's fantastic. It's about that, that wrestling of, of faith. And sometimes it feels like me with the Bible. With passages that challenge me. And it seems like a wrestling all night long. With passages that challenge my conception of myself. As well as passages that challenge my conception of God. Passages that give me joy. Passages that give, make me afraid. Yet my position is never the one of the judge, but of the student. That is what disciple means. Disciple means a student. And so we don't come to Scripture, we don't come to God, thinking we have it all figured out. We come to God seeking the wisdom and love of God. And as I've shared so often in the words of St. Augustine, when we come to Scripture and we do not see the love of God and the love of neighbor, we are misreading what is going on. We need to come humbly, and I, I use this example a lot of like coming to First Chronicles and 14 chapters of genealogy and being like, oh God, why is this here? <laughs> oh God, how can you be revealed in something that seems so boring? But I know it's not boring, it just seems so boring to me. Oh God, open my eyes to be revealed in how you're speaking through these words. And so my friends, I encourage you to take this book, to read it. If you have a question, write it down. Write it down. Don't feel insecure. That we are all in the same space. The person who's, you know, the the scholar who studied Scripture all of his life or all of her life probably feels a lot more insecure about Scripture than any of us do. Um, The one who studied the most knows how ignorant they really are. And I think that's so often that we we feel that, oh, I just haven't, you know, I haven't opened it up a lot. I should, I should get to that one of these days. And we cannot let... let our own, our guilt or any worries keep us from experiencing the God who is love revealed here. And willingness to write down questions, write down things. I don't know what's going on here. This is confusing. Who, now, who are the Ammonites? Now, what's going on with that? Or, um, I don't like this. This seems weird. This doesn't seem like God should do this. Write these questions down. Talk to me. Talk to other people who you respect in the faith. Have a, have a conversation about it. Share it. The new year is coming. The new year is coming, and it's a great opportunity to start new habits. In your, in your bulletin is a little flyer that a lot of you have the Bible on your phone. It's really fantastic. You can, if you have a phone, you can have the Bible on it, all of it. You can have, like, 160 different translations. Uh, it's really wonderful. They don't, I don't know if they have um, Klingon yet in the Bible, but um, if you're fluent in Klingon, good for you, but I don't know about that. But I'm going to I'm going to start. There's a there's a uh, a reading plan called Let's Read the Bible Together, and it's a monthly plan. And I'm going to start it in January, and this is one link to 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 try it and see it out. Um, in the end of December, there will be a link in the buzz in order we can because you can read it by yourself or you could read it with people, and that would be an opportunity to to do it to try to to have some kind of context. And there's not going to be like quizzes about it. And one of the reasons why I like this one is that it's monthly. And so if you fall behind in January, you can just start at the beginning in February and not feel guilty. Because so often with reading plans, you get like a week behind. You're like, oh, my God, I'm never going to catch up. It's useless. Um, but the point is not to like follow, follow through with the plan. The point is to grow closer to God. And what is the opportunities that we have to grow closer to God? And so I, w- I would encourage you to try, you know, think about as you get towards the New Year's New Year resolution to what if I read the whole Bible this year? Even like warts and all, even through like first chronicles, even through the things I don't understand so that I can somehow see God. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, there are things that happen that I don't understand. (laughs) There are things that happen that I don't like and I don't want to look at. But that, you know, as time goes by, I can so often see God moving in those moments. And in, in, when, when they happen, they hurt, and it's painful. And I want to plug my ears and put a pillow over my eyes and just escape. And sometimes I actually do. And it's really awkward when you have a conversation with me, and I just go like this. But, um, <laughs> but that's, I think, God shows us and reveals to us in Scripture life and, like, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, because what Jesus is redeeming is not just the people who have it all figured out. Jesus did not come to save the found but the lost. And we all are lost in our own way and all in need of love in our own way. And I think when we read scripture and we come to those challenges, it helps us to remind us that how much we need God. As Augustine also said, the reason why there are confusing parts in scripture is to remind us that we need God. That if we, had it, if we could read it through and there was nothing confusing, then we wouldn't go back to it. We would just put it aside. We've, I've got this figured out. We would be like the rich man in Luke 12 and think, think self, well done. You have done well this day. You have these nice, large storehouses. But instead, God offers us a way to get off the path of self-destruction. If you are looking for a new way, for a new path, if you are looking for new life, God offers us life this day. You can be made new. Take this book and read it. In the name of the Father,